When I got Semaphore's Joseph Zabios Roich on the line, I had one question for him. At this point, who is not running for Speaker of the House? It's been three weeks since California Congressman Kevin McCarthy was unceremoniously kicked out of his job by members of his own party. After Republicans could not get behind a nominee last week, there are new candidates in the running. Anybody who's harbored any kind of ambition in the House Republican conference, which is basically all of them, is just throwing their hat into the ring right now. And there's really no sign of it ending anytime soon. It feels like we've moved on from Republican main characters at this point. Yeah, we're getting into the side characters and the people who the the show writers kind of like maybe wrote off a couple years ago, but then they're just making a new entrance and a new season. And we'll see if any of these figures get 217 votes. 217 is the magic number of votes a candidate would need to declare victory here. Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise failed to reach the mark, even though he ran with enviable institutional support. Ohio's Jim Jordan crashed and burned when it turned out members did not want to be bullied into providing him with votes. So here we are, stuck. No business can move forward in Congress without a speaker, and Republicans cannot seem to elect one. It's a situation that is both unprecedented and totally predictable. After all, everyone knew there was no plan once Kevin McCarthy got the boot. I mean, one writer put it like this, basically said the House has figuratively set itself on fire. (laughs) Do you share that, (laughs) that take? I do. What would it take for something to change here? Oh, man. I honestly... Honestly, I'm not really sure at this point. When I when news broke of the Hamas attacks on Israel, I thought that would be more than enough of a crisis to get House Republicans to recognize the gravity of the situation and just elect a speaker relatively quickly. But as we've seen, that just hasn't happened. So, you know, I just... You're not giving me a lot of hope that this is the week things change. No, I'm I'm pretty color me skeptical that any Republican in the House GOP can get 217 votes. At least one Republican has said that even Jesus Christ himself can't get 217 votes out of the House GOP. Today on the show, why this week may be make or break in Congress. We think. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. 
Let's talk about what happened in the 20-ish days since the super far-right Freedom Caucus decided they were going to remove Kevin McCarthy. There have been a couple of candidates to replace him. As we said, Steve Scalise went first. What happened with Scalise? Like, just plot that out for me. So with Scalise, he is very conservative. He has racked up a very conservative record. I think he's called himself David Duke without the baggage. Yeah, that was a prior comment that came back to bite him with some of some other members within his conference. I think it was Nancy Mace who used that against him as a reason to, you know, oppose, oppose Scalise and be skeptical of him. But with Scalise's bid, I mean... He really had everything you would want in a in a House Republican speaker if you're if you're a Republican. You know, he had, you know, those relationships with donors. He was seen as a McCarthy ally, somebody capable of keeping the trains running. He had been in leadership for a while. Well, notably, he didn't have Donald Trump's support, right? Like Donald Trump was saying he was too sick for the role. He has cancer. Exactly. That also came up as a potential factor weighing against him in his bid, just that, you know, he is battling this illness. And some Republicans, you know, knowing that this is like a very, very difficult job, one that requires traveling around the country, um, governing within a very razor thin four seat majority. A lot of Republicans also think that this he wouldn't be he wouldn't be up to it, including Trump. Within 24 hours of being speaker-designate, he was just forced to pull out of the race because he didn't have enough support from Republicans only. And so then Jim Jordan enters the scene. Who was he representing? Who did he have the support of? He had amassed support from, you know, from Republicans like Matt Gates, Tim Burchett. These are two members who were instrumental in helping Alice McCarthy. He had very solid um, relationships and um, credentials with the right. And part of one of the interesting aspects I thought of Jordan's bid in terms of his um, seeming transformation, he had been working his way up through the the rungs of leadership over the past couple of years. Um, He had embraced, you know, hardline tactics when it comes to the Affordable Care Act. And then he was also a key player in the 2019 government shutdown. These are things that, you know, conservatives looked upon very, very favorably. So they made him their guy. He was basically like their guy. But that set him back with moderates who who didn't really trust him to advance their interests or priorities. Well, and notably, Jim Jordan was fairly involved with Donald Trump, with what happened on January 6th. He was just incredibly enmeshed in those things. And so if you want any kind of break or even just to draw a line, like (laughs) I may support Donald Trump, but I don't want to support modifying the election and, and misrepresenting the votes, then you might look at Jim Jordan and be concerned. Right. Right. I think it's also fair to say that plenty of Democrats, particularly like Democratic strategists, those who are involved in, um, you know, the midterms, they were actually pretty gleeful about the idea of a Jordan speakership because that would actually make it in their eyes. It would make it a lot easier to paint Republicans as extremists. And that's been a case that the White House has been trying to make this entire time, just that, you know, MAGA Republicans are coming after abortion rights, uh, democracy. So that's interesting. So they were excited that Jim Jordan might be speaker because they're like, oh, we can run against that. That's cool. For purely electoral purposes, yes, they were very happy to prosecute their case with the voters and, you know, win at the ballot box in 2024. 
Jim Jordan is a wrestler, and a lot of people have noted how hard he fought to be speaker. Can you just explain what it was like last week on Capitol Hill with the kinds of calls that members were getting and what they were hearing from constituents online and in their offices? Yeah. So last week was really, really was an extraordinary one on Capitol Hill because, you know, I haven't really I have I hadn't heard members before just talk about this kind of, you know, strong arm campaign that Jordan allies were were waging against his opponents. You know, I'm a 30 year Air Force guy, a retired general. Uh, so if they think a pressure campaign or bullying campaign is going to work with me, it's not. Is If this is the level of my party, uh, I think it's in the gutter, and we need to get out of the gutter right now. Um, you know, I heard people like Steve Womack and John Rutherford. Those are both relatively, like, you know, straightforward, you know, moderate Republicans who, you know, are institutionalists. They want the House to work. But they had stood their ground against Jordan, and last week, the both pair of them actually stood outside the House chamber and described the the pressure campaign that they were getting. You know, they were getting really nasty calls uh, pouring into their offices. Their staff was putting up with a lot of abuse. There was a lot of complaints and criticism that Jordan didn't um, really condemn that pressure campaign fast enough. And when he did, they thought it was pretty tepid at best. And he like tweeted once or something? Yeah, tweeted once or twice just saying that we should we should all come together. We should unite. And I think it's really safe to say that that cost some votes. And I think it played a pretty big role in costing the Jordan the speakership last week. So neither of these tactics work and neither of these candidates who, you know, had different kinds of issues were working for the GOP. It just makes you wonder, like, what would work for them? So now we're just kind of left with Republicans starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel for a new speaker. One interesting thing that I've heard is that you might need a Republican who hasn't had enough time in Congress to piss off four people. So you might need like a newcomer who has like no record whatsoever to like helm this really unruly majority. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this week, Republicans are going to meet to have an internal party election after taking a little break over the weekend to just cool off. This is a closed door thing. So tell me a little bit about the candidates who are running as of this moment. Like, is there a leading candidate? Yeah. So I think, for example, I think we're all going to be looking at Tom Emmer at the outset. This is a representative from Minnesota. The representative from Minnesota. He's a majority whip. Um, Call him the establishment favorite. He drew an early endorsement from Kevin McCarthy. He's, he sets himself head and shoulders above all those others who want to run. We need to get him elected this week and move on. And, bring- and you know, he's he's a kind of conservative, kind of Republican who I think a lot of Republicans would be comfortable voting for. But he does have a one big obstacle to overcome, and that's resistance from Trump world. Yeah. Emmer voted to certify the 2020 election results, which... You know, that's essentially poison if you're trying to secure support from President Donald Trump, who's been obsessed with, you know, making the case that the election was stolen from him. He also voted to raise the debt ceiling and he voted in favor of same-sex marriage. So he seems like kind of an interesting character. I'm not going to call this guy, I don't know, I'm not going to call him liberal, but (laughs) he's an interesting character. He probably has he's probably the one who's more willing to, you know, cut deals with Democrats if it ever came to it. But again, in this House GOP majority where anybody could be ousted from the job, you know, that's going to be that's going to be really tough for a Republican like Emmer to defend. 
Okay, so Tom Emmer is the leading candidate, I guess, by traditional metrics. But as you're pointing out, like traditional metrics don't seem to be very good guides right now. So how would you sum up the rest of the field, these other eight or so people? With the exception of like maybe one or two, they are all relatively new to the House GOP conference. Um, there's no, we don't, we're not really seeing anybody who has been in the House for like, you know, four decades or something like run for this post. I, I, I'm still I'm still a little skeptical that anybody has a resume, a resume that's capable of placating both the conservative and moderate wings of the party to the point that they can go to the floor and win this outright with only Republican votes. I really don't know who's going to emerge from this crop. And I think I've had an interesting conversation with Democrats where that one was basically like Dem- Republicans are going to have to fall into rock bottom before they seek Democratic help. But I don't know what rock bottom looks like for Republicans at this point. <laughs> like you're saying to you, it looks like they've already hit it, but they seem to be like going ahead anyway. They're digging. <laughs> at this point, they are digging. And I just don't know to what depths they're going to reach before they um, try and seek seek Democratic concessions for electing a new consensus candidate because Democrats have made clear their door is open to cut a deal, but Republicans are not crossing that bridge yet. They're trying to still elect a speaker on their own, and but it's going to be, you know, it's going to it's color me skeptical again that any of these Republicans have got 217 votes. When we come back, if the GOP cannot elect a speaker. What then? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, as all this goes down in the House, there actually is a Speaker of the House, sort of, Patrick McHenry, the temporary Speaker. Why can't he just take charge of things? So that is an interesting question that, you know, I think some Republicans would be willing to see him just take charge of the House. Um, You have some New York Republicans who say that he already, McHenry already has the powers to bring bills to the floor, conduct ordinary legislative business and basically reopen the House. But McHenry himself has told his colleagues that he does not want to expand his role without a full vote on the House floor. Why not? There are concerns that anything that he does could be challenged in the courts. Um, And then you also have constitutional questions that come into play here about what exactly his job is without a full vote. I think, you know, McHenry himself would rather see his role clearly defined and lineated for him by his colleagues rather than him just, 
taking charge and reopening the house and getting everything back in order. Well, his colleagues could do that, right? There, there could be there could be a vote to give him the power, if not forever, then for a discrete period of time, right? Exactly. There's already at least two resolutions that I'm aware of that would actually, you know, provide McHenry with speaker-like powers to bring the House back in order and, you know, pass bills and, you know, the House can operate like the institution that we all know. But there is always a but when it comes to the House GOP. <laughs> um, there is a lot of skepticism from conservatives who do not want to see McHenry step into this role. He is, you know, someone who is viewed as McCarthy light. I think that was a line used by Eli Crane, one of the Republicans who ousted McCarthy. Bringing this bill to the floor and then relying on Democratic votes to pass it because it is possible you would have some Democrats vote for it. Um, it would actually, one line that was used that this would actually bring the GOP to a civil war, which hmm. for me is a striking line to use because if what we're not, if what we're seeing right now isn't a GOP civil war, I'm also kind of afraid to figure out what is a GOP civil war at this point. Yeah. How does this escalate? Uh, yeah. Again, it, we're, this is like a truly chaotic, unprecedented situation. And I just don't really see it being resolved anytime soon. So getting McHenry in place would require Republicans peeling off some Democrats. What about Democrats peeling off some Republicans? Like the Democrats keep voting for Hakeem Jeffries to be speaker. What are the chances that they're able to make that happen with some Republican votes? I think, you know, that's a scenario that, you know, you know, that we've all that we we've heard a lot in the past couple of weeks, basically the idea of like a coalition like speaker. But I would put those odds as pretty next to nothing. (laughs) It feels like the West Wing scenario to all of this. Like it's a very tidy, clean end. Everyone goes home happy. Well, at least not not everybody. But (laughs) yeah, Jim Jordan's probably not very happy. Yeah, Jim Jordan would be pissed. Matt Gates, not very happy. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's not really realistic because you've already seen, like, even the Biden district moderates just consistently rule out for weeks that they're not going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries. That would surely cost them their seats, bring uh, primary challengers. They would. It would just basically cost them their careers in Congress. And I just don't see that scenario happening anytime soon. I would be shocked if it did. Can I get a status update on the traffic jam in Congress? Like, I think it it helps to put this in perspective by looking at what is not getting done because there is no speaker. I mean, it's we have war in Israel. We have a government that's set to run out of funding, right? Yeah. And um, it's already complicating what's been a mammoth to do list for lawmakers here in Washington. And, um, you know, in less than a month. The Congress has to wrestle with another shutdown deadline on November 17th, which means that they have to pass another, uh, you know, some sort of like a funding bill to keep the government open. So you don't think it's even possible on November 17th they'll like get get the spending bills done? Like they're, they've just burned through all that time. Oh, they burned through that time the second that they asked McCarthy. They burned, When that happened, I was like, that's not, they're going to need another, they're going to need another soft cap funding bill. Oof. Yeah, it is a giant oof. Other end of the year deadlines that Congress is wrestling with is passing a massive defense policy bill, reauthorizing the FAA, renewing government surveillance powers, which is already contentious as we as we speak. And then the farm bill is already expired, which is this massive piece of legislation that, you know, is grants a lot of subsidies to farmers, rural aid, nutrition programs, you know, programs like SNAP. 
that's already expired. They need to renew it before the end of the year. This is just going to be a massive traffic jam. And I just don't, don't know how much of this, you know, are, they're going to be able to get through before, before the end of December, other than the must-pass items. If we get to the end of the week and there is no Speaker of the House, what do you think happens then? If we get to that point, which I think is very possible at this point, this is something I'm going to be like testing in the next couple of days, but I do think that you'll be seeing more Republicans just fed up with this process say that this can't go on forever. We need to work with Democrats. There have already some, been some Republicans who've said that, and also Senate Republicans. We haven't talked much about the Senate in this in this, uh, in this saga. It feels like they've been relegated to a bit player, but there is a lot of Senate Republicans who do want to see this, you know, military and financial assistance to Ukraine, Israel pass immediately. So I think you might start seeing some Republican maneuvering in the Senate to encourage the, their House colleagues to just fall in line, elect a new speaker, even if it requires Democratic votes. Is there any person who can come down to Congress and broker some kind of resolution here? No, right? It's just kind of up to them to solve their own problem. It really is. It really is up to them to solve their own problem. I don't even think like a conservative, you know, darling conservative hero like Ronald Reagan could could rise from the dead and do anything about this. Um, zombie Reagan can't do anything about this. <laughs> then you're truly lost if zombie Reagan can't help the Republicans. Absolutely not. It's just it's just an incredible mess that they find themselves in, that they've thrown themselves into. And I'm just like, I'm honestly just drawing a blank at anybody who can get this, you know, any Republican can get Republicans to fall fall back in line right now, just because the, the House GOP conference right now is truly a broken conference. Joseph, I'm really grateful for your time and your reporting. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you having me on. Joseph Ceballos Roy covers Congress for Semaphore. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. That is our membership program. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus and find out all about it. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery, with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.